Preface to the Letters of Madame de Sévigné to her Daughter and Friends Edited by Mrs. Hale This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org An honourable celebrity has been universally accorded to Madame de Sévigné. For nearly two centuries, her letters have been the admiration of all lovers of elegant literature. The natural grace, the curiosa felicitas of these epistles have rendered them remarkable as to style, and the artist-like pictures of manners, the lively accounts of contemporaneous incidents, give them very great value as aids to the study of history. Then they are trustworthy documents, Every word, every circumstance is read with particular satisfaction because the character and position of the writer assure us of her perfect intent to communicate truth. Madame de Sévigné lived in what the French consider their Augustan age. Great men in arts, in arms, in literature gave glory to the most splendid monarch that ever sat on the throne of France. At the same time, the position of women was both active and brilliant. The social existence of the women of the higher classes was one that gave scope to talent and opportunity to energy. In those days, the great dame was occupied with the administration of her property and the exaltation of her family. Far from being absorbed in the narrow routine of personality, she considered the sacrifice of private feelings to family greatness a positive duty, and the sacrifice of family greatness to the king, that is the state, a still more imperative obligation. As our views of moral responsibility extend, the intellectual horizon enlarges. The woman who is accustomed to dwell upon considerations beyond mere fireside comforts or fashionable display, who went from the individual to the family and from the family to the state, must of necessity have enlarged her understanding in proportion to the elevation and extent of her views. It is only by a just development of the intellectual faculties that the heart can be properly regulated, and nowhere is this truth more strikingly illustrated than in the life of Madame de Sévigné. Her passionate love for her daughter was always made to yield to the dictates of a wise prudence and just propriety. Though born with excessive sensibility, great vivacity, amiable instincts and warm imagination, that is to say, with the qualities and feelings most likely to lead their possessor astray or into indiscretions, yet this youthful widow managed her estate and her children with admirable wisdom, and so regulated her own conduct as to be above the slightest censure in a court of relaxed morals and of many temptations. This was accomplished because her brilliant qualities rested on the solid basis of serious and valuable acquirements, a practical knowledge of business, and a trusting and sincere piety. 
to make the example of this excellent woman more widely and familiarly known in America is the main object of this volume. As a model in private life, her conduct and character deserve to be studied. Her letters are referred to by the best authorities as the most charming specimens of epistolary art extant, yet no edition has ever been issued in this country, nor would one be profitable because the complete work is too large. Still, it is desirable to have access to this treasury of beautiful sentiments and entertaining sketches, and we have here selected such portions of her correspondence as will make her virtues known and give those lessons of practical goodness her life so happily illustrated. In order to do this, we have arranged the correspondence on a new plan. Hitherto, the letters have been thrown together according to date, and the reader was compelled to change from one correspondent to another, even on the same page, often finding similar details in several consecutive epistles. In this volume, each person addressed has his or her own department. Thus, the letters to Madame de Grignon, the soul of the correspondence, form one unbroken series. Much care has been taken to keep the fine and often sparkling threads of narrative inwoven in the letters continuous, and errors in the only English translation we have seen, published in London in 1811, have been corrected by comparing it with the best French editions of the letters. And now we will endeavour to sketch the life of this lovely and lovable woman, though the events are in no wise remarkable, and the truest portrait of her character and genius must be sought in her letters. Marie de Rabutin Chantal was born February the 5th, 1627, in the ancestral chateau of Bobigny, between Semur and Epoise. Her father was Celse Bénin de Rabutin, Baron of Chantal. Her mother, Marie de Coulanges, was daughter of a secretary of state, and belonged to a family celebrated for wit and generally remarkable for integrity. The Baron was slain during the siege of Rochelle, fighting against the English in their descent on the island of Ré, and it was thought he was killed by the hand of Cromwell. The little Marie was then but eighteen months old, and soon afterward was, by the death of her mother, left an orphan indeed. The Baroness de Chantal, her grandmother, seemed the person naturally destined to have the guardianship of the child, but that lady was occupied in religious duties. She was afterward a canonized saint, and known as the Blessed Mother of Chantal, and seems to have deserved the distinction, according to the feeling of those days, as she founded 87 religious houses, and therefore permitted her granddaughter to pass into the hands of her mother's relations. She was first taken by her grandfather, Monsieur de Coulanges. When he died shortly afterward, the orphan, then about nine years of age, passed into the family of her uncle, Christophe de Coulanges, Abbe de Livry. This was a fortunate event for the young girl. 
She was brought up and educated with her cousin, Philippe Emmanuel de Coulanges, enjoying the advantages of the most intellectual society of the age. Her learned uncle was her companion and encouraged her to cultivate her talents. This last advantage can hardly be estimated now when feminine education is common and popular, but then the instruction of young ladies was usually limited to the accomplishments of reading, writing, dancing and embroidery. Marie de Rabetin had the entree to her uncle's library and his encouragement, if not personal instruction, in her literary pursuits. She was taught Latin, Italian and Spanish. Her instructors were Ménage and Chapelain and other professors of polite literature. The result is before the world that the woman's mind is as susceptible of cultivation as that of the man's and that she is made happier, better, more lovely and more capable of doing good by a liberal and careful cultivation of her intellectual powers. In person and manners, Mademoiselle de Rabatin is represented as very attractive, if not positively beautiful. Monsieur Philippe Grouville, her French biographer, thus describes her. Quote, An exact portrait of a person would savour of romance and would be out of place. We may, however, represent the young Rabatin to our imagination as a truly handsome woman, with more character of countenance than beauty, with features more expressive than commanding, an easy figure, a stature rather tall than short, a redundancy of fine light hair, excellent health, a fine colour, a brilliant complexion, eyes the vivacity of which gave additional animation to her language and agility to her movements a pleasing voice, as much knowledge of music as existed in those days, and of dancing, in which she excelled for the times. This was the idea that her portraits, her friends or herself, give of her, and certainly her nose, tending a little toward the square, which she herself ridicules, could not spoil her whole appearance, as much as the age of eighteen embellished it, when, in 1644, she married Henry, Marquis de Sévigné, of an ancient family of Brittany. To this appendage of merit and charms, she added a dower of a hundred thousand crowns, which at that period were not of less value than seven hundred thousand francs. End quote. The Marquis de Sévigné was also rich. Moreover, he was young and handsome and gay. Her good uncle doubtless believed he had secured the happiness of his niece by this connection, but the sequel proved otherwise. The Marquis soon showed himself to be weak, vain, extravagant, and finally a profligate. Though he always admitted the charms and merits of his wife, yet after a year or two he began to neglect her for unworthy associates. The siren of that age, Ninon de L'Enclose, drew him to her side, and for that wanton, the happiness of his home was sacrificed. Bussy de Rabetin, cousin of Madame de Sévigné's father, 
an unprincipled man but distinguished for wit and talent had always admired and loved or pretended to be in love with his fascinating cousin and she had always laughed at his flattery and rejected his suit he took advantage of her husband's infidelity to offer an insulting proposal that she should take her revenge he was reproved in such terms of cold and calm severity as put a final repulse to his gallantry toward her though their intercourse continued friendly through life yet judging from the tone of her letters to him always constrained and confined chiefly to his own affairs we feel that though she acknowledged their relationship she never esteemed the man her husband was killed in a duel about seven years after marriage and madame de sevigny at the age of twenty-five was left a widow with two children the eldest her son the youngest that idolized daughter who made the light of her mother's life in spite of the faults and vices of the marquis de sevigny his sudden and shocking death greatly afflicted his wife she was for a time nearly overwhelmed with sorrow but soon found devolving upon her the hard and painful duty of endeavouring to extricate her estate from utter ruin the follies and waste of her husband came near making her and the children penniless she retired to the country and aided by the counsel and encouragement of her uncle the abbe entered on her new duties we quote from one of her french biographers who seems to have searched out her history with great care quote, madame de sevigny's good sense natural rectitude and laudable pride gave her a taste for economy and the advice of her uncle taught her to understand it her mind notwithstanding the habit of sacrificing to the graces had no repugnance to business she well knew how to sell or let estates receive her rents direct her workmen etc she did not trust to her beauty alone for gaining lawsuits menage relates that one day recommending an affair with great ease and simplicity to the president de Bellievre, she felt herself at last a little embarrassed with the terms to be used when she said at least sir i know the air perfectly but i forget the words with regard to education not only did the merit of her son and daughter as well as their virtues show the extent of her capacity in this respect but it will be easy to extract from her letters a series of maxims upon the subject by which it will be seen that far from adhering to the false methods in vogue in her days she had foretold many of the improvements of which we are justly vain in ours End quote. though she devoted herself sedulously to the duties of her family yet madame de sevigny did not long live a recluse she saved her property returned to society and passed much of her time in paris where she was the idol of her circle people of the first rank in letters and worth of character as well as stars in the fashionable world 
She was also a frequent visitor at the court, where the king, Louis the Fourteenth always received her with respect. Madame de Sévigné had many adorers, among whom were the Seigneur Turenne and the Prince de Conti, and her friends were most devoted. Fouquet was one of them, and she was true to him in his great misfortune, as her letters show. But she appears never to have had the least intention of a second marriage. To promote the happiness of her children and the enjoyment of her friends was the object of her life. Her son, the Marquis de Sévigné, who entered the army, was very frivolous, weak, and dissipated in his youth. His mother's watchful care and patient forbearance saved him from utter degradation. About middle age, he married an amiable wife of noble family, left the army, and cultivated a taste for literature. To effect this marriage, and thus secure the reformation of her son, Madame de Sévigné gave up to him so large a portion of her estate that she was afterward in comparatively straitened circumstances. But the daughter, Margaret Frances, was her mother's glory, the idol that seemed to claim the worship of the mother's soul. Passion rather than affection possessed Madame de Sévigné when writing to her of her, quote, infinitely dear child, end quote, that the daughter did not reciprocate this love in its full flow has been urged to prove that Madame de Grignon was cold in temperament or selfish in feeling. We do not find evidences to support this charge. The mother, ambitious for her daughter and wishing to keep her in Paris, had married her to the Count de Grignon, who was rich and of the high nobility and had a place at court but he was also Lieutenant-Governor of Provence and ordered soon after his marriage to his government. His wife had to follow him, and she seems to have loved and respected her husband as was her duty. She had children, she was at the head of a great establishment, and she could not give the whole of her heart, thoughts and time to her mother, as the latter did to her daughter. The separation was a terrible privation to Madame de Sévigné, but it was the cause of her moral and literary improvement, as well as of the series of letters to Madame de Grignon, which of their kind are unequalled in any language. The mother's genius lives in this correspondence. Her pen gives importance to the most trifling occurrences and makes hard facts as interesting as fairy stories. Among other advantages of life, Madame de Sévigné retained her good looks, as she did her cheerful disposition to the last. Hence the name of Mère Beauté, Mother Beauty, given her by Monsieur de Coulanges. Her constitution was good, and she managed it with great judgment. In thirty years, the only disorder she had known was rheumatism. Happy all her life by the exercise of natural affections, Madame de Sévigné thought less of the ravages of time, and when death terminated her existence in 1696, her illness, the result of the fatigue and uneasiness she had endured for some months on her daughter's account, 
took her by surprise and was announced by no symptom. It was short. In her last moments, she was resigned and perfectly calm. Thus died Madame de Sévigné, aged about 70 years, and was interred in the collegiate church of Grignon, leaving to posterity in the record of her blameless life, as in her exquisite writings, the brightest and purest model which her age affords. End of Preface